Today on Podcast by the Bay, we return to our People on the Peninsula series and showcase the owner of Buck's Restaurant of Woodside, and his name is Jameis McNiven. I was standing in the hallway once, and uh, uh, there was this woman, she was a model, and all the uh, there was a press conference, and all the press were taking pictures of her and talking to her, and I'm standing in the hallway with the, her husband. And I said, I don't get it. You're the president of France, and they're totally ignoring you. He says, oh, I'm used to it. It was Sarkozy and his wife, Carla Bruni. Jameis invites us to pull up a chair while he serves up some tales about celebrities, politicians, and some of his insight on today's society. It's a question of whether we can really survive this or not. I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't think our, the Cheeto in the White House is the biggest problem. I think our bigger problems are things that don't pe- people don't talk about that commonly, and that's AI. I think artificial intelligence is uh, potentially a civilization ender, and I think it could happen all of a sudden. Oh, coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another show of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for downloading this episode, and we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends. And so today, we're going to do another People on the Peninsula series featuring their owner of Buck's Restaurant in Woodside, and his name is Jameis McGiven. And so, Patrick, you got to meet Jameis. You got to go to Buck's and actually do an exclusive interview with Jameis, who's going to be our People on the Peninsula showcase today. So please tell us about Jameis and how did your interview go? Well, what a wonderful guy. I mean, if you come into his restaurant, you're going to see a box of harmonicas. You're going to see something from Las Vegas. You're going to see a cowboy's rope. You're going to see some cowboy boots. You're going to see a lot of artifacts. Very unique guy. He was a contractor to begin with. He started the restaurant in 1991. Uh, the restaurant is close to Sand Hill Road, also Stanford University. Um, a, a few companies that uh, paid homage there that have been there is Netscape, PayPal, Hotmail, Tesla, Steve Jobs. This They were around when the first uh, dot-com boom. Um, we've also had the famous movie stars and actresses Shirley Temple Black that used to go there. This is a real old-fashioned restaurant. His success is consistency, consistency, consistency. He has some of the waiters or mainly waitresses that have been there some 20 or 30 years. It's hard for him to probably get new staff. 
most of the people don't want to leave. When you go in, you see the Statue of Liberty wearing a sombrero and a stuffed alligator. I mean, it's exciting. The breakfasts are a little pricey, but the company is wonderful. I met with him in his office. Um, and it was a real tight quarters. And at one point, his wife came in with their granddaughter. Um, we might also note that their children are also successful restaurant endurers too. So I think it goes in their blood. When you talk to him, he talks frankly. Um, he's going to talk about issues that maybe don't affect you or don't affect me, but how he feels about life, how he feels what, what is the key to being success. Uh, he, he also has Groucho Marx glasses on display. I mean, you got to go there to, to see the restaurant. And he was so welcome. Somebody told me I should talk to him. And, and, and I would say it was a golden opportunity. And they also have a nice little bar there, too. It's Buck's Bar. I mean, you got to go there. I mean, it's the place to, to be. It was established in 1991. It's, 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 just, it's just a wonderful. But please, listen to the interview. Listen to the questions. This is a unique man that brings a lot of uh, successful stories and how he became a success and how his kids became a success. He's also has, he also, once in a while, will be a guest at the uh, uh, graduate level for business opportunity at Stanford University. So, hey, hats off to Jameis McNiven. And, and, and Patrick, you brought up a couple of good things on the website. You can actually he actually does post some of his tall tales. There's some historical stuff. But I think you brought up something. It's a down home. It's a real place. You feel like you're part of something when you go there. So it's, it's that feeling of being part of a community when you when you go in there. And there, he wrote some really good articles and some stories just about some of the experiences in Bucks and uh you know, some of, some of the uh, kind of the famous people who had, had kind of been through there. So I think it's kind of exciting. But we wanted to showcase that from time to time here at Podcast by the Bay. We want to feature some people that are out in the community that have been here, that have actually really uh, have a good perspective of what's happening and really have been through the ups and downs of the last 20, 30 years and really understand how the peninsula is as a community and, you know, can really bring a unique perspective. So don't don't miss the restaurant. Don't miss the restaurant. It's on thirty sixty two Woodside Road, and go in there. And Jameis, if he's around, he'll talk your ear off. But he's going to give you good stories. And their motto is traditional American food. And boy, do they give you the amount of food that you can barely eat. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a winner to me. Um, so definitely enjoy the show. This is one of our people on the peninsula showcases. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at Podcast by the Bay. If you think there's somebody that should be on the People on the Peninsula show, send us an email. Send us a link. And, uh, yeah, we'll check into it. So please reach out to us, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, and that's at Podcast by the Bay. And then uh, also on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the Jameis McGiven interview uh, here exclusively on Podcast by the Bay. And so signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. It's uh, April 9th, and it's a little bit after the hour of noon. We have the honor of interviewing Buck's owner on Woodside Road, and that's Jameis McNibbon. That's that right. Okay, and welcome to Podcast by the Bay. 
can you give us a little background and how how did you come to California and were you born here? Oh, <laughs> well, it's a circuitous route. Uh, I went to school at Berkeley, and so I then moved to the East Coast. I moved a lot, and uh, when I I got married, I moved I moved east after college and I got married and we got snowed in in Connecticut and I said to my wife we should really move to California and she decided she wanted to become a medical doctor she was already a PhD biochemist we were in our mid-twenties and uh, so we sent for the catalog of classes from Stanford and I said uh, look we can move into the hills in the photograph which was the, the hills behind Stanford and you could go to Stanford. Well, we ended up moving west. She ended up not becoming a doctor, but we did move into the hills, and we live there today. Now, is that in Woodside, or is it? No, it's uh, in San Mateo County, up San on Mateo. Skyline. Yeah. Oh, excellent! Yeah, excellent. I couldn't live on a little postage stamp three acres here in Woodside. We, okay, how we, big? How big is your your spread? We have 160 acres. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, how long have you owned Buck's Restaurant? 27 years. 27 years. Yeah. And how? What condition was Buck's in when you took it over? Was well, it there was a restaurant here called the Stagecoach, and it was on its last wheel, and. Uh, so we shut that down and just started with an empty white box and just let our imaginations go. Well, that's good. What is your education background, too? Well, I was a uh, humanities major at Berkeley and a revolutionary. And uh, after that, I, I moved east and I sold dairy parlors to farmers, to dairy farmers. So I was in the milking machine business. I drove down every country road in Pennsylvania, Quebec, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, all through there, selling milking machines. It was a great job. Well, to our listeners, uh, Buck's Restaurant has a lot of artifacts that are displayed all the way from a Statue of Liberty to some harmonicas to some swords to a Las Vegas little lighted board to... Can you tell us where you got all these artifacts? Well, uh, every one of the artifacts, and there's almost 500 pieces here now. Uh, every artifact has uh, a story. Uh, I have a, a Soviet space suit that I got when I had breakfast with the head of the Russian army here once, and he, he said, if you're in Russia, look me up. And we went to his office. He wasn't there, but using his business card, we went to the spacesuit factory and talk them out of a spacesuit. So that's one of our artifacts. Wow, congratulations on that. And you you know, I, I, I can um, admire that you're really into history around here. Is there any specialty in history that your theme represents? I mean, you got that Statue of Liberty. Well, for- there's really no theme. It's sort of uh, just whatever wacky idea we've got at the time. I had a, a large sculpture here of the Great Redwoods of California done in miniature. So there's 10 of the Great Redwoods in the big glass case. And, and it took nine months for the artist to build it. And it um, is an homage to Julia Butterfly, who spent two years living in a redwood tree. So we, we built models of the great redwoods and all the cars down below and the animals in the forest are all in scale. The cars from the 1950s. Uh, so that's one fun thing. I actually collaborate with a lot of artists, uh, from the carpet to the mural above. And I build a lot of the stuff myself, too. I build a lot of the models. Well, I can, I, I can say for the many years that I've come here, not only is the food fantastic, but the artifacts are, and they're very well laid out. So oh, wow. To our listeners, uh, what's your address up here on uh, Woodside? We're at 3062 Woodside Road, right a uh, mile west of 280. Well, this is a place most of our listeners are probably either have been to or should come by. <laughs> I, I would tell that. 
Uh, one of the, the leading questions that a lot of people wanted to know is what is the key to your success? Because obviously I'm, I'm a business person, business real estate broker, and also sold a lot of restaurants. In the restaurant business, 99% of them fail. Uh, you've, you've, you've had a successful track record of uh, 27 plus years. So what would you think is the key reasons? My wife, it's my wife. She's the brains of the outfit. She keeps the trains running on time here. I'm just a pretty face wandering around chatting. I mean, I do some real work, but uh, my my work is more, uh, I'm a front of the house guy, so I, I go from table to table and make friends. I have the best job in the world. I have the job I wanted when I was a kid, to just meet amazing people and get paid for the privilege. Wow. Now, <clears throat> I know you've had some famous people in here. I'm just going to name one that I re recall that used to come in here for breakfast was Shirley Temple Black. Did oh, yes. You, have you met Shirley Temple Black when she was alive? Well, sure. Uh, she came in with some frequency, and uh, uh, we had a, we had a wonderful exchange. I'd see her, and uh, she's the movie star. I didn't want to bug her. But after her fourth or fifth visit, I thought, well, I'm the host. I should say hello. So I came up, and I said, uh, I know who you are. She said, oh, do you? I said, yes, you are Deanna Durbin, aren't you? And she said, ah, as a matter of fact, I am Deanna Durbin. Of course, Deanna Durbin is the forgotten starlet that a rival studio put up against her who disappeared beneath the waves. And so she and I had a very warm relationship. And then a couple of years ago, uh, I know her son, Charlie Black, he told me this depressing story. It's terrible. We have so many great artifacts here. Well, he said, as my mother was going through her stuff when she was pretty old she came across this cowgirl outfit that she wore in a movie and she told me that well maybe that guy from Bucks would like it but I don't want to push it on him maybe he wouldn't and then it would embarrass him so he said we ended up putting it in the auction I said you know you didn't have to tell me that story jeez a Shirley Temple movie outfit wow. here at Bucks wow. I, he said well sorry I said oh thank you thank you for telling me so that was one that got away but she was a dear person she was a terrific person. I read her autobiography, and and uh, you know her parents stole all her money, and she didn't exhibit any bitterness. Wow. Yeah. Who else came has come in the restaurant that did made a lasting impression on you? Well, two fellows that weren't particularly famous. Uh, one fellow came in once, and his uh, and he was just one of these grand old gentlemen uh, who I took an instant like to, and he. Uh, told me he grew up in Salinas, and I looked at him, this was in the 90s, and he was in his 90s, and I said, so, so did you know John Steinbeck? He said, so, yes, I knew John Steinbeck, and we got to talking, and I introduced myself, and I said, so what's your name? He said, I'm Stanford Steinbeck. I said, so you did know John Steinbeck. Well, it turned out they were first cousins. Stanford was named Stanford because his mother went to Stanford, and so uh, he and I became fast friends, and one day I asked him if he uh, remembered Mario Minetti. They were in the, the class of 1930 or something like that together at Stanford. He says, why, Mario? I, I haven't seen Mario. And he did the calculation 67 years. I said, well, he just lives in Hillsborough. So I got them together, and for the last few years of their lives, they had lunch together about once a month. And Mario died at 101, and Stanford was about 97. So to hang out with people like that, that's the most uh, compelling part of this job. Just grand, wonderful people. I meet a lot of little babies 
I meet lots of kids that grow up and some end up working here and go on to their college careers and success. Uh, certainly we see famous people. We've I've met uh, the heads of state of, of a lot of places. I was standing in the hallway once and uh, uh, there was this woman, she was a model, and all the uh, there was a press conference and all the press were taking pictures of her and talking to her, and I'm standing in the hallway with the, her husband, and I said, I don't get it, you're the president of France, and they're totally ignoring you. He says, oh, I'm used to it. It was Sarkozy and his wife, Carla Bruni. I've met the, uh, the leaders of uh, Singapore, Portugal, Argentina, a lot of Eastern European countries. Um, <clears throat> Israel. Going back to your success, one of the one of the successful things that you've got going for you is the uh, people that have longevity that have worked for you for a number of years. Uh, how, how many people work for you currently? Well, we have about forty five people working here. We work wow. breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Some of them are part time, but most full time. And our average server's been here about fourteen years. Wow, uh, one's been here twenty seven years. She came. We bought her from the Indians. Well, how do you keep so competitive? I know the environment in here. I, 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 the many years I've been coming here, I've never felt anybody not working hard, not getting along. With you, your staff is it, the success of any restaurant is not only the owner but it is the staff. Oh, absolutely, it's the staff. You know, I, we, you hear people say it's a family, and it really is because um, we have a husband and wife working here who also have have their daughter here as a hostess. So it really is a family affair. My kids have all worked here, and they've gone off to all do restaurants in San Francisco. They're very successful. Oh, they own restaurants themselves. That's Indeed. great. Yeah, yeah. And one has a startup. He's got about fifteen hundred people in the food space. And so, um, but they all they worked in the kitchen, or they worked behind the bar, or waiting tables. With the divide that we have, with the uh, as you know, what's happened over the years with Silicon Valley, and especially right now with the inflation on housing. How have you been able to uh, provide um, a, a, a reasons why people continue to work for you? Are you providing health care? Are you providing top wages? What are, what are well, you doing? Well, yeah, there? we're very competitive with all of that. Uh, it's it's tough on people. I mean, the uh, house prices in the area have just gone way beyond the reach of so many people. It's really distressing to, to see, and it's even worse in San Francisco. I don't know how people do it. I honestly don't know how they do it. Now, um, the owner, uh, Mr. Schultz of Starbucks, has a kind of a format which he's providing health care and he's providing uh, college education for the first two years. Are you doing any of that kind of stuff at all or not? Well, you know, our servers are all older. They're way beyond college. Okay. These, these are uh, The people who work here are uh, not the young kids getting started. So uh, my dishwashers, these are career positions that they've been in for 10 years. A busser here uh, might be here 10, 12 years as a family. And so uh, they're, they make good money and, um, and they value the jobs because people really, they hardly ever quit. No, I, I can tell that. Yeah. Now, you're very lucky on that. I know with the aging population, do you see any of the young people getting engaged somehow in the restaurant business? Because it doesn't appear that we're seeing too many younger people working at, at Bucks. No, you're right. You're right. It's uh, well because we have they were young when they came, <laughs> but they're still here. <laughs> so um, you know we do have some new people that are in their thirties, but uh, and we have some people in their twenties, uh, but uh, it is a, it's an older crowd, yeah. Do you see any of your kids eventually wanting to take over this restaurant? 
Well, I hope so. Uh, uh, we have uh, collectively in the city. There's five places now, so they'll probably just sweep it under their management at some point. Um, but we just, you know, we can't imagine not being here. But we can't imagine working forever either. The, but this is such an incredibly fascinating job. Like I get the chance to talk to you. And then at 2 o'clock, everyone will have changed out in front, and I'll get this whole playground of amazing, creative, innovative people. And uh, Without mentioning any names, can you give a little bit of description of some of the background of the people that work for you? Uh, well, they're just regular people, you know. They're moms and dads, and... Um, and uh, these are their main jobs. Some people have two jobs, but mostly the people that work here, this is their main gig. Well, you know that you also have a restaurant up the street uh, that's run by a couple, and they've been there, I think, almost 14 years. Um, and they run, the, I think it's called the front store or the first store. The little store? The little store. Sure. And um, I had an opportunity to meet both of them, the husband and wife, and they're a, a real success team, too. And it seems like our, uh, they take some of the same values you do for success. Uh, yeah, I like to think we have the same values. Sure. Yeah. We're just here in small-town America. Well, he's lucky, too. I think he owns the property up there, too, is, is what I've kind of gathered. Yeah. So Now, um, this shopping center has also seen a lot of changes in the last, probably pretty much in the last five years. I know we, we had the Woodside Bakery, which changed hands a couple times, I think, there. Uh, they, there seems to be a new, is that an independent or is that a conglomerate? No, or that's owned by uh, the, the Bacchus Group that owned the Village Pub, Spruce, okay. Spruce in San Francisco. Yeah, they're great operators. Okay. How is it, um, do you have a, are you able to have reasonable rent here? Because, I mean, obviously the key for your success is keeping your expenses down and rent's one of the <clears throat> the biggest contributors to... Uh, My landlord could probably charge me more rent and I'd pay it, but he's a, he's got old-fashioned values and he values us and we value him as a landlord. I like to think we're the best tenant he could possibly get and, and he's definitely the best landlord I'll ever see. Well, that's good, yeah. Like I, you can see in the Bay Area right now, a lot of restaurants and coffee shops and stuff going out of business because the rents are so skyrocketing right now. Well, back in uh, 2000 when things really fell apart, uh, we get a rent increase every year, so we've agreed, and... Uh, he forgot to raise my rent. So about two months into this, I went over and I said, George, you, you raised the rent every year. You, you sort of forgot to raise my rent. He said, no, I didn't forget. There's a recession on. And I thought, you know, maybe we should take a year off. And I mean, what landlord does that? Yeah, you're, you're abstract as a real estate broker profession. I've never heard that. That's what he did. <clears throat> now, what do you see as um, uh, some of the current problems? I hear you're pretty vocal out there in the community about maybe uh, solutions to... Uh, things. Do you have any solutions with the current problems we have with housing? Solutions with housing? Oh boy. Um, no, you know, nothing comes to mind. We've had this, uh, we've had this no growth agenda in many of the towns, not in Woodside per se, because it's so small, but uh, you know, it, now Redwood City is starting to build a lot of housing, but the uh, the housing is so expensive. Uh, it's it's stunning to see a one bedroom apartment in Redwood City for rent for four thousand dollars. So that's not much of a solution. I think the longer term solutions are better rapid transit to the east, where there's a lot of opportunity, but very difficult to get there. 
I mean, there's no train across the bridge. There's no, there's no easy way. I mean, we have two bridges <clears throat> down here, and that's it. Well, I've had an opportunity to interview about 11 mayors on the peninsula, and I think you bring, illustrate a real good point. The transportation system out here is just not a transportation district or user-friendly. Right. Um, so we're seeing that. I also had the opportunity to interview the mayor in Portola Valley, uh, and I haven't had the opportunity to interview the mayor in Woodside. He's, he's, he's a little bit more difficult to get a hold of. So I, I podcast by the Bay. I hope you can encourage him because he probably comes in here. I think it's Kerry, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it changes all the time. I'm never quite sure who the mayor is because they rotate, but... Woodside isn't going to present any solution to <laughs> to low cost housing because there's just no opportunity. Yeah, but let's distinguish a little bit something between the words low cost housing um, and affordable housing and workforce housing. One of the buzzwords that's going around this probably would affect you and your business later on down the road if you have new employees is uh, workforce housing. And I wanted to kind of go back to where you were talking about Stanford for a moment and. And I guess you're aware of Stanford has campus housing. Um, right. Kenyatta College has it. Uh, uh, College of San Mateo has it. Um, any thoughts on, on um, de developing more workforce housing? Because of the divide right now we're seeing with housing, and you illustrated the one-bedroom apartment at 4,000, um, <clears throat> we're, we're, we're going to be hurting for workforce housing. I well, mean, absolutely, because yeah. look at the buildings going up along 101. I mean, there's... Every time I go down there, there's a new building going up, but I don't see the same in housing, which just drives the existing housing up. I know that because of its proximity to Facebook and some of these others, the housing in Redwood City, where it butts up against the freeway now, these houses went from four and 500,000 to a million and a half and two million along the freeway, and these are pretty small old mm -hmm. houses and so that means that your your restaurant worker can't afford that and it's a it's a serious problem um, I have I can't even imagine a solution that wouldn't take super dedication and billions of dollars I just can't picture what that would be mm -hmm. I mean I think we're headed for more trouble on that basis. well let's go back you know I think Facebook is making a lot of contributions they're going to be doing some uh, campus housing that we talked about earlier um, and I don't know if that, that's obviously not going to solve the problem nor maybe necessarily help the worker people out here, too. So I don't think it's going to help much. I think they're, they're doing some, but who's going to be in those places? The, you know, the highly paid staff or, I mean... What do you think? Do you think uh, your Facebook, your Google and Illumina and all those things, um, when, you, when they negotiate with cities to build their housing... Do you think that they maybe should incorporate in their plan some workforce housing? Not necessarily housing for the, uh, yeah, the people that work for Facebook or Apple. Well, right, because if they don't, uh, the situation's simply going to be untenable. The traffic will be worse. They're going to have trouble attracting people. And, uh, I mean, ultimately having these this high density of these tech firms, that's where the problem is, and I don't know how you mandate around that. You can't really, uh, in the short term, do anything about it. I, do you think government? Just, do, you, do you think government? Um, um, and, and I'm going to show a, a minor example, but a positive one with Facebook. Facebook obviously put a million dollars up to explore the reopening of the, of the bridge there, um, over there, the old bridge, and for environmental purposes. Do you think we need to see more partnerships with government and businesses to? 
collaborate on housing and transportation oh, the, and traffic yeah, and yeah, all that. Absolutely. There's no question about that. And it's it, the whole idea of spending a whole lot of money on a high-speed train that's an artery going up and down the state when there are uh, modern solutions coming along for high-speed uh, cars down five that are self-driving. I mean, that agenda puzzles many of us. Uh, when that same money could be put into local infrastructure that would have an immediate and short-term impact as opposed to some sort of dream about this train. Uh, yeah, I think that's a dream. You know, I, I had the honor of interviewing Seamus Murphy, who's the chief uh, communication director for Caltrans for BART and stuff. And I encourage you to listen to it on the podcast, by the way, because we went out there and I had some really good questions to ask him. One of the major questions is, we don't really have a transit district. Everybody's kind of fending for their own. That doesn't mean that they don't collaborate and go to a meeting down in Monterey or or get together and do a presentation of what's going to be improved for 92 or a 101 or 280. But I think now's the time we need to step outside of the box and maybe develop some partnerships with your Google, your Apple. Absolutely. Well, you yeah. know, one person who has a really elegant solution is the one-time mayor and still presently on the town council here, Dave Tanner. Dave Tanner's a local builder. And he's actually, uh, with his architect in his office, designed an ideal east-west transit system and really figured out and spent years on it and just as a civilian. And... Uh, He's got one uh, very elegant solution. He would definitely be a person to talk to about some creative ideas on that basis. His his scheme makes more sense to me than anything I've heard that's actually going on. Well, I'd love that opportunity yeah. to interview Dan. So I, maybe if you can give yeah, me Dave, some contact. Dave yeah. If you can Dave. give me a contact information. Yeah, he's right in the center here. Yeah, okay. I'll definitely. Yeah, listen. let him know that about the, the podcast by the Bay would love to yeah. have an opportunity to, to listen to him. Right. Um, so, no, I appreciate that. Is there anything that you're really passionate about in the community that you're working on right now? Well, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I have the restaurant here, and it's sort of on a, st it's, it's very stable. So I do a lot of other things that aren't restaurant-bound. I do a lot of speaking around to different groups I get a lot of groups in here. As recently as last night, a group of uh, visiting Japanese MBA students, and so I do a lot of uh, a lot of lectures with regard to how we became the innovative center of the world, really in California, all the way back to the gold rush. I like to say that California was invented at three o'clock in the afternoon on on January twenty fourth in eighteen forty eight when John Marshall discovered gold in the mill race at Sutter's Sawmill. And uh, before that, California really didn't exist in any real way. And after that, it was go, go, go. And we've been going ever since. So being part of this, this go, go world is, is amazing. And some of, the, some of the demands on me are odd. Is that, uh, I have to come in tomorrow at 2.30 in the morning to open up for CBS, who wants to shoot live footage here to incorporate in their 7.30 a.m. stories launching off the Zuckerberg interviews in Congress, and it's like, you've got to do that live? <laughs> Why live? But they said it's live. So What's the connection with Bucks and Facebook then? Why? Oh, we don't have any connection. Um, uh, it's just that so many of the tech firms had their early meetings here, and we're really established here. I mean, uh, arguably... Uh, uh, 
the origin of uh, Tesla was founded here when they got their first money, PayPal, Hotmail, Netscape had a lot of foundational meetings, uh, Yahoo certainly, um, eBay had early meetings and, and hundreds of firms and, and thousands that didn't make it. But the firms that didn't make it, you know, it's interesting we talk about failure here in the Valley. Uh, there's so much failure because most firms don't make it that we have this almost unique uh, aspect that we recycle our talent. If you raise $60 million in the company tanks and, and it just didn't work because you hit a downturn or your idea wasn't that good, you're invited back to the party the next day. So we have this amazing uh, predilection to uh, put people back to work. And there's a lot of places in the world they don't do that. Well, you know, I did notice one thing over time, and I'm kind of a history nut when it comes to the Silicon Valley. When I draw back in the early 2000s, we've had that first uh, uh, crash with the tech business. What was happening, too, at that early stages is that people were just throwing money out there for anything and everything. And a lot of the times, the companies were spending the money on things that had nothing to do with what they were doing. Yeah, they, they were buying bars. They, oh, were, yeah. they were doing anything. So I think we've seen a lot of change uh, when technology, because now technology, even though the economy seems to be spiraling, um, they want accountability and they want you know more venture capital. I remember early on, people were using down payments with stock options. Um, right. Do you remember that? They were using oh, yeah. stock options. So I think they, the model changed a little bit. It changed a lot. I mean, there's yeah. a lot more fiscal responsibility now than ever before. But there's still a lot of risk out there, and most firms don't make it. And and most firms don't make it big. The ones that do make the headlines, so it, it tends to skew it. Well, you re we can also recall this, the one thing that has changed in probably the last 10 years, it's the money flow that comes into this country. Um, from what I understand, the money flow was limited about 10 years ago or 15 years ago about, it, about the amount of money that can come from overseas. Now the money c can flow to just about any amount, providing that they provide jobs, um, for people in that community. So do you think the, the opening the spigot with the with the cash coming in is, well, has helped to spiral? Well, this? I think the one reason that our stock market remains so robust is because it's considered a safe haven for people around the world. Sure, definitely. And that's definitely true of real estate. You know, here in Woodside, they put these rules in about 15 years ago that houses could only be so big. It seems like a big house at 6,800 feet plus a basement and outbuildings and all that. But in other towns they didn't have those rules and so the houses got up to 25,000 feet just as close as Atherton, Los Altos Hills. And it hasn't been to the benefit of the towns because it became very attractive to offshore people to buy these places and not live in them. As is the case in London and New York and Vancouver and to a certain extent in Atherton even. And that doesn't happen here. Well, we're in a unique area even when we, we saw the stock market crash, the first tech boom and the earthquake and everything else. We, we, we survived. We, we, you know, we gain momentum every 10 years. Right. Uh, do you foresee any problems with the, the way the current thing is, uh, the current economy is going, the current, current government? Do you think that there's... Oh, yeah. We're headed for the rocks. There's okay. no question about it. This, this ship is inches from having a huge hole torn in it. It's already been torn in it. It's just filling with water now. Yeah. I, I, and everybody's up on deck dancing. Right. And there's, be, there's bad relationships uh, being fostered by our government towards uh, other countries. Wouldn't you think so? Uh, you mean our reputation be completely trashed and right. thrown and stopped right. on? Yeah. yeah. I would say that's correct. Yeah. 
you think we can get back on course? Uh, it's it's a question whether we can really survive this or not. I mean, it's uh, I, I don't think our, the Cheeto in the White House is the biggest problem. I think our bigger problems are things that don't pe- people don't talk about that commonly, and that's AI. I think artificial intelligence is uh, potentially a civilization ender, and I think it could happen all of a sudden. I think it may already be too late. We, we, we've had, we've in our discussion groups, we've had some discussion with some people in that background, and yeah. a couple of the talks were saying when this uh, new wave comes along, they're going to replace a lot of people or displace a lot of people that with right. jobs. Right. And they were also talking about the idea of creating what they would call a fund to keep these people being able to be having housing transportation and stuff like that. Are you aware of that thought process? It's uh, it's not the American predilection to to have a living wage that people don't work for because it's just hasn't, you know, the rugged individualist has to stand up for himself and all this. The fact is we have very low unemployment now, but I think we're at the peak of that. People say, well, that no, uh, machines are just going to make us more interesting and we'll have more jobs, it'll be great. But everyone says it's great until they discover all of a sudden the water's up to their ankles. And, and uh, uh, so I predict massive unemployment in the next 30 years. I mean, the trucking industry alone is going to be out of business. And with the trucking industry goes all the support uh, from mechanics to motel rooms to truck stop hookers, you name it. And so the robotic stuff is really coming to flourishing and it's just going to displace just millions of workers across the country. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. It's not just the, the physical robots that do things. It's the computer robots that predict things that, uh, as I say, the singularity may have already happened. Do you have any opinion on that uh, recent debacle with Facebook? And I know Facebook took out some... Um, they, they had a company that wanted advertisement, and Facebook went out and, I guess, did as much research as they could. And obviously what they, uh, what they were found out is that basically they were using propaganda through the Internet to uh, persuade people on whether it's politics. Or it's, it's a potential uh, killer for the republic. It could actually put our republic out of business when you can have people manipulating to such a deep extent. Uh, the political system for their own gain. I'm, I've been shocked since the election, uh, this president, that there are as many venal people as there are. I knew there were a lot, but I didn't know it was this many. And I'm also surprised how loudly and effectively just a few people can be. 97% of the people polled recently want some sort of background check for guns, yet we can't get that because the 3% has a gun to our head. Yeah, that is sad. That is sad. You know, it, it, we're, we're really encouraged. I was uh, recently, uh, as you know, the, uh, the all the catastrophes we had at Sandy Hook and through a lot of the schools throughout the country, we had somewhere around 22 episodes with just uh, hundreds and hundreds of people that were killed, whether they're students or teachers or police officers. The young people today seem to be standing up, uh, and, and I hope that that's going to be the new civil rights yeah, um, yeah. civil rights it's issue. Going to make a big, it, it could make a big impact. Uh, but the old codgers, you know, holding on, gripping their flintlocks, are going to have to die. They're not going to give them up. 
You know, it's it's a sad thing that when, when you think about these assault rifles that are still available on the streets legally for people to buy. Yeah, well, you know, if you eliminate assault rifles, large clips, bump stocks, silencers, and have background checks, it will have no effect at all on the gun deaths. It will have zero effect, not even 1%. Why would you say that? Just because curious. almost everybody's killed with handguns. If you add up all the people uh -huh. killed... 98% of them are killed with handguns. The yeah. long guns make the news. But the short guns are doing all the work. Okay. Well, a lot of the buzzwords that are coming out, they're talking about uh, mental health background checks. What do you think of that? Waste of time. Waste of time. Waste of time. Uh, because they, they know this last guy uh, was completely unbalanced. And they, you know, they, there was just no mechanism to do anything about it. Um, and it's just almost impossible to anticipate pre-crime, you know? What's pre-crime? Now, some of, our, some of our listeners out there, uh, we've all come up with a thing that we probably feel that some of the news glorifies this too much. And for somebody that may be on edge, um, maybe they want to beat the Sandy Hook guy, or maybe they want to beat the other person, and they, you know, they just kind of have no fear whatsoever and want to go down in history as the top killer like the guy in Las Vegas. Right, and it's true. But still, if you add up all those people killed in mass shootings, it's about it's less than one tenth of one percent of the gun deaths. So take take all those glory seekers away, and all you've got are uh, angry, drunken husbands shooting uh, people, shooting their wives, shooting people in bars, shooting people on the street. Well, another That's high where all the yeah. carnages. All right, another high percentage of people being killed by guns is by accident. Uh, well, there's, there's actually, a high there's, a high there's, a, there's people, but I don't know that it's a high percentage. Uh, uh, they talk about we should have better training well, so they can be better shots and be more effective. Mm -hmm. uh, suicides are half the deaths, yeah, and uh, that's a different subject. But, um, yeah, we could be on guns a long time. I, I talked to these Germans recently, and uh, it was pointed out a statistic that I heard that the that two years ago the German police pulled their guns 52 times. They didn't fire, they just pulled them. They have to record every time they actually withdraw from the holster. Here, you know, we shoot somebody every few minutes. Well, you know, it's kind of amazing in the land of the free out here that we have more people for a free country incarcerated than any other country in the world. That's right, yeah. Well, and, and, and the majority of the people that are incarcerated are incarcerated for drugs. Right. It's, it's a pure racist play. There's no question about it. It's, uh, it's, it's been endemic since slavery, yeah. That's a sad situation. So I imagine you would be pretty much in support of bail reform because it seems the people that are incarcerated have a, a, you know, a dire need to continue on to, to raise their families and make sure that somehow they could have reasonable bail to go out. No, there's no question about it. There's also something called check the box, which is you get picked up for a misdemeanor, something a white person will get off with a go home. Uh, you'll get picked up for a joint or historically and uh, you get a misdemeanor and then you can't get a job at Walmart even and then you go to the streets and it all spirals from there. So it's insidious. It's not, uh, there's there's no cabal that sits and makes these rules, but it's... There doesn't seem to be a second chance for these people, does it? Very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think of the other problem that we're having across this country and uh, is with the opioids, the uh, drug the drug addiction with the painkillers that the doctors are prescribing? Yeah, I don't care too much about that. You know, it's like, I think we're going to see drugs and television as to one of the big solutions 
to our unemployment problem. I think the Simpsons will end up being right. They're going to sit on the couch and watch TV. But uh, I think it's tragic when people get hooked on drugs and die, but I don't see it as a big existential problem. Although it's been a minute, you know, this whole opioid thing has been driven by one guy, practically, who popularized Oxycontin, and he keeps... uh, sliding past the government and paying fines and stuff, but it's a a completely heinous criminal thing to manufacture all this stuff and push it on people. And and these these new narcotics were marketed, Vicodin and all that, as having a very low addiction rate based on nothing. And so it's just more venality, but it's, uh, you add up the you know the selfish things people do, and it's it's pretty disheartening. Well, let's let's talk about kind of a controversial person on the peninsula, and also a very successful person is Tim Draper. What right. Do you, what do you think of Tim Draper's idea of dividing the state into two or three or four? Five. Yeah, five. Well, uh, I've asked him about that, and I never got I I never understood what that meant exactly. Although he had some very nice ties made, showing the. Uh, uh, showing the different divisions, and I have one of these ties right here. Wow, that's kind of great. I, I, if you had, I'd love to have an opportunity to interview him, Tim's, too. Uh, well, you can get hold of him at Draper University. Tim's a good friend of mine, and uh, I, it would have given us a tremendous amount more power in California because we would have all these senators. Right, and, right. But the thing is, uh, it was just never going to pass because we need the constitutional amendment. And so uh, the other states would... You know, North Dakota was never going to vote to give California more power. Uh, But the idea that we have 32 million people and two senators, and they've got less than a million people and two senators, completely out of date. Ridiculous. That that made sense uh, 200 years ago. It doesn't make any sense now. Well, I think when we look at the country, uh, we're we're a democratic Republican. Republic. We're not a democracy. And I think a lot of people misunderstand yeah, that. I think um, most of us get that's that why now, we did, but we're not even yeah. a republic anymore. We're supposed right. to be. Uh, we're supposed to elect smart people to make decisions for us, and now we're electing people that aren't very smart <laughs> making decisions for us. So even the republic part, we're an oligarchy at this point. We're an oligarchy run by money. Is there, any, is there anything else that uh, you feel is pressing right now that you would like to, uh, the viewers and podcasts by the Bay to know about you? Personally. Well, I didn't know this microphone could see me. I would have, I would have ironed my hair better. Um, um, you know, I, 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 I think we need. Hold on a second. Cut this part out. Let me think. Phrase that question. You say that question. Why again? don't you tell me the te- the keys to your success and what the keys to the success of this country could be in the future? Well. Uh, Certainly, uh, I think one of the keys to my success and the people around me and my kids and my wife is, you know, we're kind to other people. And we now have an administration uh, where kindness is not an issue, where being mean and being a bully is the issue. And actually, I've discovered that bullies enjoy other people's pain. And so as long as you have people that they can't win unless somebody else is losing, we can't make forward motion. We had Our previous president didn't have that ideal at all, and uh, Hillary certainly didn't have that ideal, and so many people don't think other people have to suffer so they can win. So who was, you know, you kind of led me up to this when I was going to come, who is your most favorite president, tell us why. 
Well, Kennedy would definitely surface as my favorite because he uh, was dating Marilyn Monroe, and you gotta love that. No, he he. I like Kennedy a lot because he represented a youthful leap forward and people like to dissect about what he did wrong in Vietnam and stuff but he actually had really good values uh, I think Roosevelt was terrific the second Roosevelt was great certainly George Washington and Madison and Adams those guys had great values um, but uh, we've seen Clinton I think he did a terrific job we say well his personal life you know what I don't care about his personal life and nothing really I don't care if he double parks even it doesn't matter to me it's like what a guy does on the ground um, um, the candidate I worked for was Morris Udall he never got elected uh, was uh, he from Minnesota no he was from Ar Arizona. Arizona he was an Arizona congressman and he he had terrific ideals and I, I campaigned with Cliff Robertson the actor and and uh, my wife and I back in New Hampshire for him so they're, uh, I think Bill Bradley, terrific guy, uh, Biden, um, a lot of a lot of statesmen out there. Uh, Gore, I was a big Gore supporter. He well, I ran the Gore, Al Gore campaign out of the Belmont Theater. Oh, really? I, I sold the Belmont Theater too yeah. for the owner of it. Owned he it. he was he would have made a terrific uh, president. And so, are we going to get back on track? Who knows? You know, now we've got uh, now we've got a, a cabinet that is entirely bullies entirely bullies selfish bullies and I think some of them wouldn't mind ending the world because it would be a great career capper for them so you think we woke up America a little bit we're seeing a lot more participation and a lot more people moving forward to try to reverse that yeah yeah again. we've seen we've seen a lot more of that and and they're gerrymandering and disenfranchising as fast as we're moving forward so the hay's not in the barn for the coming winter yet a lot well, of work to do. On behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you for taking the time to interview with us, and uh, we look forward to maybe a, another podcast. Well, Patrick, this has been terrific. It's been fun to explore this. <laughs>
You've been listening to the sounds of Leo DeVito featuring this song entitled Blue and Green. And you can check out more about Leo DeVito on the Highway Soul Music page at highwaysoul.com. Until next time, stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.